believe. Here we go. We're continuing on in series in the Gospel of John. Uh, we are headed for chapter 7, verse 37. Paul asked me this morning. He has been out a couple of weeks. I'm throwing him under the bus. Uh, so he asked me, are you still in chapter 7? <laughs> what? You think I'm slow? Take my time going through it? Yes, we'll get there eventually. We only have, I don't know what, 21, 23 chapters? We're fine. Jesus is on his way back. He may come back before... Um, before we get finished with the Gospel of John. By the way, speaking of that, <clears throat> I about lost my voice during worship this morning. I was going to say, we're going to get raptured and then uh, <laughs> leave it alone. Uh, key verse, uh, I was going to pin it on somebody who's going to have to read my notes, but I'm, that would be mean, and so I won't do that anymore, Larry. <laughs> Larry told me he's planning on going. If in, in the event of the rapture, I'm on my own. Um, all right. Pardon? I'm going to have to play bass. No, but Jimuel is playing keyboard this morning. Jimuel, thank you. Yes. I miss having a keyboard player. I do. I, I, I secretly want to play it myself, but Thomas says no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. You guys digress. Here we go. The key verse for John chapter 20 or for the gospel of John is John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31. Read it real loud with me. Here we go. Jesus's disciples saw him do many other miraculous signs besides the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. So this morning's text is going to deal with the ongoing offense of the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders that don't like Jesus and what he's saying. Uh, it's still true that you have Christianity is extremely exclusive. It's exclusive in the sense that only by believing in Jesus that you may have eternal life. Does that make sense? It makes us very exclusive because we believe that if you do not believe in Jesus, you don't get eternal life. And because we are exclusive that way, that truth, it offended those in Jesus's time when he spoke. And it also offends people today that, that Christians think that they've got the one way to eternal life. But that's what God's word tells us. And so we believe in it. So yes, the, the gospel is extremely exclusive. I titled this morning, A River of Life. A River of Life. Do you have your notes? I don't have my bulletin. I filled my pockets like I put my bulletin in my pockets. I don't. Uh, I'm only going to make two points, so we're probably going to be out of here before one o'clock. <laughs> a river of life. So uh, uh, Thomas and I were talking about the text this week and what I'm preaching, and he was quizzing me. And so uh, I remembered a story. He, he was asking me about a time that I was really thirsty. And so uh, back, way back, a hundred years ago, whenever I was in Bible school, <clears throat> that's when there was only the Old Testament. Uh, I was in Bible school, and uh, there was there, it was in Waxahachie, Texas, south of Dallas. Anybody ever heard of Waxahachie, Texas? It's in the middle of farmland. And uh, I, I knew several farmers, and, and they would get several of the college guys to go help them get hay out of their fields. Now, it's, in, it's south of Dallas, and so it, it's hot, it's humid. We'd go out at about 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night, and uh, we would work until... 
three or four in the morning and we were, we were getting bales of hay out of the fields. And so we'd have several guys and you have to throw it up on the back of the trailer. And then the guy on the trailer is stacking it and it's humid and it's hot and it's dirty. And we would get the, get it all loaded up. And then we would take it to a barn that was a two story barn. So then you get to stand on the top of the stack and throw it up into the second story. I know some of you are looking at me like, Brent, really? You had calluses once upon a time? Uh, yeah, I did. I did labor, you know. Um, but we got paid beans for doing this. Like one time, the farmer, after we worked for four or five hours, there's about six of us. He's like, I'm going to take all you guys to CeCe's Pizza. If you don't know what CeCe's Pizza, it's like 24 hours, all you can eat. They call it pizza, but it's not. It's horrible. For like $3.99 a person, including a drink, you can eat all the pizza that you want. But when you're in college, hey, <laughs> let's go get pizza. We will work like slaves if you'll just buy us pizza. We're happy. No big deal. So one night after we had worked and you come back just sopping wet from sweating and the humidity, uh, we were just, we were wrecked and we were hot. And so one of the guys says, let's go to Brahms. Brahms is a great ice cream place in Texas. I know for all those from Texas, you're like, hallelujah. <laughs> I have always had migraine headaches and I know what my triggers are. One of them is being dehydrated. One of them is eating sweets whenever I'm dehydrated. And a third almost guarantee is to eat chocolate at night on an empty stomach. So somebody says, let's go to Brahms. And I'm like, hey, ice cream? I'm always game for ice cream. So we go to, uh, to Brahms and I order a hot fudge brownie sundae. Mm -hmm. It was glorious. The next morning, I have never been so sick since. It killed me. I mean, it just, I had the worst migraine headache. <coughs> Our... Our hall monitor guy, he stops by. It was a Sunday morning. And so, I'm, you know, at, when you go to Bible school, if you skip out of church, you get demerits for going, skipping out of church. <clears throat> so, uh, <coughs> pardon me. The hall guy comes down. He knocks on the door, comes in the room to make sure that we've gone to church. <clears throat> and I'm laying in bed with my hands over my head. I was probably crying, moaning at the very least. Oh, and he's like, he asked me, he's like, is this your first time to skip out of church, Brent? So I kind of roll over and I'm sick <clears throat> and he realizes it. And uh, so he prays for me and he leaves. I tell you that story to make a point later, okay? <laughs> so here we go. John chapter 7 verse, I don't know where we're at. 37 is where we're starting. Yeah, verse 37 is where we're at. So um, in John chapter 7, Jesus has been in Jerusalem at the Festival of Shelters. Um, the point of me telling you that is I should have drank some water instead of eating all the things that make me sick. Anyway. Well, whatever. I don't know if it matters or not. Jesus, he's at the festival of shelters. That comes from back in Leviticus chapter 23. God gives this command. Uh, the Israelites, when he gives this command, they're probably living in these branch shelters. Uh, they would remember, these are people who would remember when Moses threw the branch into the water at Merah because it was bitter. And so they, God tells them, tells Moses, throw the branch in and now the waters become sweet. God had instructed these, uh, the Jewish people to celebrate this festival of shelters. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so it was, a seven, it was seven days of living in shelter, seven nights of living in shelters that were made out of branches. It was eight days, eight days of bringing special gifts to God from their harvest. You remember me saying in the previous week or two that it, it came at the end of the harvest, and so it's kind of their Thanksgiving-ish uh, celebration. So they bring uh, product from their harvest. Uh, the first day uh, and the eighth day of the whole celebration, they were treated as Sabbaths, so they were not allowed to do any regular work on those days. Those days were holy days for holy assembly where all of God's people got together and they worshiped and celebrated God. Does that make sense? The first and the last day is all about celebrating God. We don't work for ourselves. We just, we just worship God. I'm sure that they sang all three songs that we sang this morning back then. They would have. Specifically, the the festival of shelters was to remind each new generation the reason that God implemented these celebrations was as a reminder so that every new generation could look back and see what God had done. So the festival of shelters was a reminder to the new generation of Israelites that God had made their ancestors live in shelters after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Are you with me so far? I just realized I'm reading really fast because we're just building up a little bit of a scenario and then we're going to blast into the text. After God has delivered all of these Israelite Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt, you have somewhere between two and three, two and a half million people out in the desert. Imagine this out in the desert. You have two and a half million people out in the desert and God provides for all of these people. No Burger Kings, no Taco Bells, no McDonald's, no Rodolfo's, no Si Senor's, no Texas barbecue. I'm telling you, this is miraculous, right? It is. He is not only the God who delivers, but he is the God who miraculously and abundantly provides. That is a God worth celebrating. So that is the festival of shelters. By the New Testament times, the festival of shelters had become a ritualistic prayer to God for rain. It was implemented to remind them of God and his greatness and what he does, but as man takes a hold of it, it begins to morph and it begins to change. And now we just, if we pray hard enough, if we do the right things, then God will give us rain for our crops. If rain came at that time during the festival of shelters, when they asked God, when they petitioned God for rain, if rain did come during that time, it was understood as a guarantee that there would be sufficient rain for their crops for the next year. Now I'm going to read a section out of a commentary. I know you get excited about reading commentaries, but I couldn't reword this and make it any more effective. So I'm going to read this to you. The prayer for rain was symbolized in dramatic fashion on each of the seven days of the festival. Did you hear that? On every day of the festival. A procession would go down to the Gihon Spring on the southeast side of the Temple Hill. Are you picturing this? There a priest would fill a golden pitcher with water and the choir would repeat the words of Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3 that says, with joy you will draw water from the well of salvation. Picture that in your head. Then the procession would go up to the temple through the water gate. 
When the crowd reached the altar in front of the temple, they would go around waving uh, willow twigs and and myrtle uh, tied together with a a palm in their right hand. And then they would have either a a lemon or some other citrus in their left hand. And they would wave it around and they would celebrate. As a climax, a priest would go up the ramp to the altar, pour the water out of the golden picture, pitcher, picture, out of the golden pitcher into a silver funnel, which would flow to the ground. Are you picturing all this? This is the scene as we pick up verse 37. Are you with me? Number one, here is life. Verse 37, on the last day, that would be the eighth day, the climax of the festival, the priest, he has gone up the ramp of the altar and he has the golden pitcher and he's pouring it into the silver funnel. That is what is happening. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted to the crowds. Jesus was always meek and mild. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus shouted to the crowds. Anyone, so so you have... uh, You have the priest, he's doing his thing, all eyes are on him, he's pouring, making sure it's hitting the ground. Silence. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Oh, Crazy, man. Can you imagine? We're having service. Brent is waxing eloquent. People are mesmerized. They're listening, convicted, and challenged. Oh, it's so good. And then all of a sudden, somebody starts yelling? That's kind of what happened. Except for I'm not always mesmerizing. Entertaining, but maybe not mesmerizing. All the eyes are on the priest and all of his ceremony as he pours the water from the golden pitcher into the silver funnel onto the ground. Everyone is solemnly praying in their hearts that God would send rain to provide food to keep them alive. This is serious. They live out in kind of an arid desert land, so they need rain. So, yes, we're praying seriously because if God does not send rain, we don't feed the kids. And suddenly, abruptly, Jesus shouts out, He's already established himself as being a little bit crazy in a crowd. He shouts out, read this carefully, anyone who is thirsty, 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 anyone who is thirsty. Oh, that's good. You're all thirsty now, huh? Good, we created the context. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, he's rooting himself in Old Testament and the prophets, the writings of the Hebrew people. He says, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. I just need you to look at this very carefully. This person who comes to Jesus and drinks. This person who comes to Jesus who is thirsty and drinks. And by the way, Jesus is using drinks as a metaphor for believing very much as in the previous chapter, he used eat my flesh in chapter six. Eating and drinking, he's using that as a metaphor. The, the idea is to be filled with Jesus. 
You got that? Anyone who comes to me can drink, be filled. This person who comes to Jesus and drinks is the person who goes from being, picture this, thirsty. This person who goes from being the thirsty person to the person with rivers of living water flowing from his heart. Do you see the contrast? Some of you do. Some of you are still like, wait, why didn't we get a bottle of water this morning? From dry to a flowing river. That's the picture. The Jews have corrupted God's celebration. They've corrupted it so that they could organize, listen carefully, they can organize an attempt to manipulate God with their religious ceremony and their prayer to get God to give them what they want, what they see as their need. They want to get God to give them rain for their crops. Is that so wrong? When the Jews quoted Isaiah, and they have the choir quote Isaiah, they say, with joy you will draw water from the well of salvation. It was all about the water. The salvation was water for good crops so that they could eat next year. They were just thinking about the water, just the water. They weren't thinking about the symbolism. They were petitioning the living God, the God who is God over time and all matter and all space. They approach the living creator of heavens and earth and say, can we have a little water, please? This, does anybody else feel like we're selling ourselves a little short in this story? God Almighty, if God, if you will just give me a little water, then I'll be able to plant some seeds and they will grow and I'll be able to feed my family. If you could just give me a little water, I can be independent of you. I can be self-sufficient. I can do what I want to do. Jesus comes and he is offering to make these thirsty folks flowing rivers of living water. Okay, keep that picture in your head because John is going to go on and explain what Jesus is talking about. It only gets better from here. Verse 39, when he said, who's he here? When, <laughs> who's he here? Who's he where? Here. Jesus. When Jesus said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Now, John's going to explain that part. He's going to explain the whole Spirit that was going to come after Jesus goes away in John chapter 14. We'll get there. Maybe this time next year. I don't know. Uh, but we'll get there. But the point is now is that the Jews, the Jews were asking for water for their crops. Jesus is offering rivers of living water for their souls. Keep that in mind when you have a prayer request. Oh, snap. Isn't that what the kids say? 
the crops will grow. They'll be harvested. The grain will be consumed. And we'll be back here asking for water again this time next year. Jesus offers water that, as he told the woman at the well, you will never thirst again. When we're filled with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no cycle. You become a river. There's no cycle of being dry and then wet and then dry and then you are flowing like rivers. I think it's interesting he makes it plural. Rivers of flowing, rivers flowing of living water. We have a tendency to ask God for health and wealth so that we can sustain life. Do you see the problem there? We ask God for health and wealth so that we can sustain our life and the lives of those that we love. But Jesus in the middle of this solemn gathering is shouting out to the people. He's waving his arms around and he is jumping up and down saying, you guys are asking, you're, you're praying to God for life and here is life. Here is life. If you're thirsty, believe in me and rivers of living water will flow from you. From thirsty to flowing, here is life. Through Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a river of living water flowing from within us. going to pause for a moment while you just think about that because that messes with some of our heads, doesn't it? By believing in Jesus, mm -hmm, the Holy Spirit, I like the way some of you are looking at me. Some of you would fire me right now if you could. Through Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a river of living water Flowing from within you. <laughs> You're like, well, I can believe that on an academic note. But really, you really think that the Holy Spirit, I mean, a pastor, yes. I'm making this third person because y'all are looking at me like, whatever, Brent. You know, one of those pastors that, that is really great. You know, the Billy Grahams, the, the really great pastors that are obviously filled with the Holy Spirit. But not me. Not just me. I mean, we're just regular old people. And now Jesus comes along and says, if you're thirsty, that the Holy Spirit's going to fill you and be a, a river of flowing, living water in me. That's just, I'm just too simple for that. That's not it. But that's what the scripture says. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit is a river of living water flowing from within those who believe in Jesus. Not those who believe that Jesus was just a man. Not those that believe that Jesus was just a miracle worker. But those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and he's worthy of all of our thirsty little lives. We surrender ourselves to him. And his Holy Spirit flows through us like a river. Jesus says, here is life. You guys are so busy in your ceremony. Here is life. The spirit of the living God flowing through you. If you will only believe in Jesus, 
But they're so enamored with their ceremony, with their rituals, with their ability to petition God and manipulate God and get God to give them a little bit of what God actually wants to give them. I'm going to make two applications and then we're going to move on. First, first application, God has not given us his Holy Spirit so that we can be a trickle of life. Sometimes I read back over my notes. I'm like, what was I thinking whenever I wrote this? You are not filled with God's Holy Spirit to be a little trickle of life or a little babbling brook of life, but to be a river of life. Isn't that incredible? If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely... Would y'all skip out of children's church? Good Lord. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. When God allows the Holy Spirit to flow like a river through you, it will be noticeable to others that you are different. God's presence is in you. So live it. Own it. Let it flow. Let it flow. It's a different song, huh? That's funny, though. If you fill your life, here's the contrast. If you fill your life with the things of this world, if you fill your life with the things of this world, you will stay thirsty, my friend. Did you get the reference? That was funny, too. But if you believe in Jesus, God will fill you with his Holy Spirit and a river of life will flow from you. You won't be a spiritual black hole sucking everything into uh, everything living into nothingness. <laughs> Got quiet all of a sudden because <laughs> you thought of somebody, huh? Whenever we surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we give ourselves, when we lean in to the creator of heavens and earth and we say, I have nothing and you have everything, you are my, you're my all-sufficiency, I completely surrender myself to you and whatever happens is what you do and I will trust you and I will glorify you with that. I'm, I'm here to just surrender to you. Whenever we do that, God's Holy Spirit flows through us and there's this spirit of life within us. But you know those people who go to church on a regular basis. Uh-oh. Well, we went from preaching to messing with people, huh? You know, it's so hard to be a Christian. Just barely made it to church today. Oh, it's so hard. My job's no good. My kids are no good. My wife, ugh. Pray for her. Yeah, that's, that, that's the context, right, for Christian complaining. I have a prayer request. Oh, they're fixing to complain. They're going to whine. They're going to be all, wah, 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 wah. no, 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 no. I'm not saying we don't have problems from time to time. Lord knows I do, and I listen to your prayer requests. But sometimes we use prayer requests kind of like these people here are using prayer. We want something from God. And we've been taught that if we pray, God listens, and so we can manipulate, we can force the hand of God to give us what we want, as opposed to surrendering ourselves to God and just letting him give us what he wants. There's a huge difference there. If that's all you take away from this message, that's good. We could stop here, but you know that's not going to happen. 
Second, closely related, don't dam up the river. God put his Holy Spirit in you to flow like a river. When the world sees thirsty, bitter people, they will be repelled. However, when the world sees life, they will be attracted to that life. Does that make sense? That's really, that's awesome. When the world sees life, they're attracted to life. The best testimony that you have is to let the river flow. Let others know that God is the source of your life, that God is the source of your confidence. Let other people know that God is the source of your trust and your faith. Let others know that you live every day for the purpose of demonstrating the glory of God, not your own amazing self. Did you catch that? We live for the glory of God because he's got something so much better, so much bigger to do in us and through us than we could ever imagine on our own. So we surrender ourselves to him and let the river of the Holy Spirit flow through us to other people. Let the Holy Spirit, let the eternal life flow like a river through you to the world around you because here is life. The church is the worst about we're always seeking for another revival, another move of the Holy Spirit, another, another move of God. And God says, I sent my son. I sent him my son so that you could see his glory. So, yeah, open up the book and read it. Genius. Number two, we should move on before I start meddling. Confusion and unbelief. Confusion and unbelief. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Here again, they kind of had low expectations. This is the prophet that we've been expecting. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others involved in this conversation say, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? This is an ongoing conversation. Problem with where, where Jesus comes from. We don't believe that he came from the right side of town. He didn't come where we thought he should come from. He doesn't dress like we thought the Messiah would dress because we know, we know because we're geniuses and we're on this side of the, of the New Testament. And so we just know things that these people didn't know, right? That the Messiah, hey, careful there. Yeah. The Messiah would come on a white horse, white robes. He would have an appropriate blue sash. Or maybe a purple sash. It would be purple. Yeah, it would have to be purple because it would be royal. I mean, all of those of us with a charismatic Pentecostal background, we know. We know what color Jesus' sash would be. The Messiah has to come in a white robe with a purple sash. So we would recognize him on a white horse with a gigantic sword. And all those who don't agree with me, he will smack them on the head. <laughs> That's how we think. That's how these people thought. We have an idea of who the Messiah should be. And so whenever he comes and he's a little different, these people couldn't handle it. He can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal. Listen, if you're a Bible scholar at all, you're just into this because this is incredible. For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David, King David, in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. Is that true? 
Yes, it is true. The scepter of power will never leave the throne of King David. Oh, it's good. That was the Davidic covenant. Some of y'all are looking at me like, what are you talking about? The Davidic covenant. God says to David, the scepter of power is never going to leave your throne. Never going to leave your house. And these guys are right. They know where the Messiah is going to be born. Verse 43. Man, I'm so lost in my notes. So the crowd was divided about him. It's confusion. Some even wanted to arrest him or wanted him arrested. But no one laid a hand on him. So some of these people have made up their minds that Jesus is the prophet. Others think that he must be the Messiah. Others are determined that Jesus can't be the Messiah because he comes from Galilee. And the prophets are clear that the Messiah will come from the royal line of David and be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. If only these people could have sought to know a little bit more about Jesus. If they just asked one more question, they would have, Jesus, where were you born? Were you born in Nazareth in Galilee? Because we think that all those people, they're a little weird out there. Yeah. If they just asked, Jesus, where were you born? He would have said, I was born in Bethlehem in the city of David. But they didn't ask. They didn't get to know Jesus at all. And so they passed judgment completely uninformed of who Jesus really is. There's a great application there. I'm moving on. Jesus, the Messiah himself, comes and with words, reveals who he is. He says, I am the son of God. I am living water. I am eternal life. I am the Messiah. And they still were people who were confused and remained in unbelief. Are you with me? Now, I know, I know that we think because, because you know, the center of my world is me, right? Not the center of your world. The center of your world tends to be you. I don't think that you, uh, you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> the center of my world is Diane, unless her world collides with my world, and then it's more about me. That's, that's the truth, huh? We share our faith with someone, and we believe that they should accept Christ as their Savior, and become a fully devoted follower of Christ because we shared our faith with them. That is what should happen. We took a class on evangelism. We know how to do our one-minute faith story. Anybody ever do that? We have read Evangelism Explosion. We know the four spiritual laws. We know how to tell people about Jesus. And dadgummit, they better get saved, believe, and become a fully devoted follower of Christ at Desert Heights. But that's not the case. Sometimes we share our faith and people don't seem to respond at all. That's the case here with Jesus. The Son of God comes and says, Here is life. Believe in me and rivers of living water will flow through you. And they go, What? I don't understand. Who is this guy? We, we don't understand who he is. Here's the deal, church. Unless God the Father draws that person, 
unless that person is born of the Spirit, like John 3 and Nicodemus, they are going to continue in confusion and unbelief. But Brent, I'm really good at sharing my faith. I'm really good at talking people into to serving God. We can talk people into coming to church. We can even talk people into acting like a Christian to some degree. But salvation is an act of the triune God. I've said it before. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in cahoots to give you eternal life. You better hold on to your britches, buddy. We get to be the messengers. We get to be the recipients even. We get to be the river of life in a dry and thirsty world, but we are not salvation. Jesus is salvation. Only Jesus is salvation. So we keep pointing people towards Jesus. I know I want you to invite people to Desert Heights Church, but the fact of the matter is coming to Desert Heights Church does not get you saved. You need to be pointed towards Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Going on, they wanted to arrest Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him. In verse 45, the temple guards returned. So we get little bits and pieces of this story. Again, I don't know if it's chronological or like, like this has happened multiple times where they want to arrest Jesus or if John is just using the story and he keeps referring back to it. But they've tried, they've tried to arrest Jesus unsuccessfully multiple times is what it seems like. So when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, because remember last week he gave them a stern talking to. They come, we're here to arrest you. Put your hands behind your back. And he says, I'm not staying long. Go home. (laughs) He did. That's exactly what the text was last week. I mean, in the message it was. The temple guards returned again. Without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and the Pharisees, they demanded, because these are the religious men, they're in charge. Why didn't you bring him in? They said, verse 46, we have never heard anyone speak like this. I mean, whenever our mom tells us to do something, there's a little fear. But whenever Jesus speaks, like, whoa, not messing with that at all. We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Are you picturing this in your head? Burly guards standing before the religious leaders. Why haven't you arrested Jesus? And they're like, never heard anybody talk like this. Have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or or Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him? This foolish crowd follows him? Get that in your brain? This foolish, the religious leaders, they are saying the foolish crowd is who's following Jesus But they're ignorant of the law. They don't know what we know. We know more. God's curse is even on these ignorant people. The Pharisees, they mocked. The Pharisees show just how incredibly blind they are to the fact that the Son of God himself is standing among them pretty blind, isn't it? I point that out because we all need a dose of reality. The reality that we can think that we are right when we're wrong. We need to be very careful about what we put our confidence in. Everyone else is fools. 
They're ignorant of God's law. If they just knew the prophets like we did, they would know that, Jesus, that the Messiah is going to come from, from uh, Bethlehem, not from Galilee. If they just knew, if they were as smart as we are, if they weren't cursed by God, obviously God has caused them to be blind to the truth and just to have basic understanding. Because if they did agree with us, then they would be brilliant too, right? <laughs> Everyone uh, of their own tries to even, pardon me, even one of their own, the Pharisees, even one of their own Pharisees tries to reason with them. Verse 50, then Nicodemus, remember him? He's the Pharisee who comes in the dark of night. Jesus, Jesus, don't want anybody to know what's going on. What do I have to do to be saved? And what's Jesus tell him? You have to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born of the Spirit. How can I be born of the Spirit? How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? He said, no, not of flesh, not of human will, born of God. Yeah. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, he spoke up because this is a man who sees a light flickering. Like something's up. Is it legal to convict a man? Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? They all knew what Jewish law was, and they knew that they were under the law of Rome, and they knew they could not convict this man without a legal trial. Verse 52, they replied, because Nicodemus is obviously defending this crazy man. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Again, they're misdirected. Then the meeting broke up and everyone went home. Nicodemus, chapter three. What must I do to be saved? He tries to talk some sense into his fellow Pharisees, but then they turn against him. Just because Nicodemus doesn't jump on the train to convict Jesus unfairly, unreasonably, they turned on Nicodemus. Kind of an application. We're going to sing here in a few minutes. Christianity is still viewed with similar contempt. Think for a moment. Ignorant, ill-informed, the perspective of cursed people even are the ones who believe in this one God who is over all. Right? Only a fool would believe there's one God. Why would there be this exclusivity of Christianity where there's only one God and only one way, that doesn't make any sense. If you guys had any sense, you would know that there's many ways to God. And if we're just a good person, you'll get to God because God's that way. I know that God's that way because I made him up in my mind. God's the God that I want him to be. I wouldn't make up a vengeful God who says there's one way to the Father. I wouldn't do that. Christianity is still viewed as those who follow Christianity are ignorant and ill-informed, cursed. Why would anybody believe that there's one God? Why would they believe that that one God would send his own son to die on a cross? It doesn't make any sense. Why would the supreme being of the universe send his son to die on a cross, to be raised from the dead, 
so that his spirit could flow like a river of living water from you. What God would do that? I'm telling you, a wonderful, loving, merciful, gracious, faithful God does that. That's incredible. The same confusion and unbelief exist today. Those who cannot accept Jesus see accepting Jesus as completely unreasonable. Those whose eyes cannot see, those whose ears cannot hear, those whose hearts cannot understand, they see the rest of us as crazy, ignorant, deceived, even cursed. However, we should not expect the unbelieving world to see us any differently. We want the world to smile on our faith, on our Christianity. And I don't know why we think that, because that's not what happens in the scriptures. We should not expect the unbelieving world to see us any differently than the world saw, the unbelieving world saw Jesus and his disciples. And we should continue, even when the world treats us bad or says that we're crazy, which we are, we are. We are very crazy. When the world treats us like we have lost our marbles and we are ignorant, we should continue to lean into God to fill us with his spirit so that we can be the rivers of life, of eternal life to those around us so that we can be the river of life in a desert. We understand that. I love the river. My son just brought it up to me last night because he went, went to Durango last night. He said, hey, Dad, we, we fish together every once in a while. We fish on the Animus River. By this time of the year, the Animus River is typically down to a trickle, right? It is, trust me. We fish in it in the spring whenever it's like waist high, and if you get out in it, it'll sweep you down to Shiprock. And typically in August and September, you can wade all the way across and maybe not even get your feet wet. So Brendan last night, he says, hey, Dad, do you notice the river? It looks good. That, that's code for we should go fishing. Good as it's clear and it's flowing. We understand in the desert the need for water. God puts his Holy Spirit in us so that we can be the river of life in the desert, so that we can be the vessels who bring eternal life to those around, of us, around us. That is, we are the river of life. Does that make sense? So I sweated my brains out, and what I wanted was a hot fudge brownie sundae, because that's what seemed good to me at that moment, and it made me sick. I needed water. I just needed water. We come to God and we look for all the things. Lord, give me this, give me that. My life will be full. I can be a river of flow, flowing with living water if you will just give me a better job, if you'll give me a better life in whatever way. Give me better. Give me something better. Give me something better. And God says, life is, eternal life is here. Lean into me and I will wrap you up and fill you with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. 
and rivers of living water will flow through you. Yeah, but Brent, what I really want, or God, what I really want is if I could just have enchiladas for lunch, that would just make my... God says, I got so much more for you. Does that make sense? The Jewish people came under the auspices of celebrating God, but they were coming and asking for a little bit. Jesus comes and says, here I stand in the fullness of the triune God. Life is here. Church, we can simplify our Christian life down to reading our Bible every day, praying on a regular basis, going to church. But I'm telling you, God doesn't want little bits of your life. He wants all of your life. He wants to transform all of your reality. He wants his presence to flow through you. He wants his eternal life, his Holy Spirit, to flow through you. Let's all stand together. Praise team is going to come back. They're going to lead us in a celebration of God. Not, not asking for God for something specific. I know that there are many people here this morning who have things that they need from God. But this morning, we're not asking for the things that we need. We're just leaning into the presence of God saying, Lord, we surrender all of our lives to you, trusting that you will fill us. And you will flow through us with much more than we could ever ask or imagine. I'm going to pray. The praise team is going to lead us in a song. And I'll come back and close this in prayer. Father, we put our faith in you this morning. With all that we are, we just want to, to immerse ourselves in you and the waters of your love. Lord, that you would envelop us. That you would just would immerse us in you as we surrender our lives, as we surrender our will, as we surrender all of our desires to you, trusting that your river will take us to exactly the place that you will be glorified in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our city. Lord, we just look to you and we celebrate you because you are the God above all gods. You are King of kings. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. And we give ourselves up to you and we worship you and we celebrate you. Be glorified.